You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. If you could guarantee just one trait for your child, what would it be? Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and you're listening to episode 77. So back to that question. If you had the chance to bestow one gift on your child, what would it be? Kindness, intelligence, empathy, enthusiasm, all worthy traits, wonderful qualities to have as a human being. But my guest in this episode thinks there's one human trait that tops them all. Curiosity. Yvette Cordy thinks that above all human characteristics, curiosity is the most powerful. It's the key to creativity, innovation, and personal growth. Yvette argues that a healthy dose of curiosity allows us not just to be problem solvers, a wonderful habit in itself, but much more than that, it allows us to be problem finders. Curiosity gives us the ability to ask the right questions, to look into problems and situations in new ways, and allows us to pinpoint the true issue at hand and devise clever and valuable responses. I hope you enjoy my conversation with a very curious Yvette Cordy. Yvette Cordy, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Yvette, early in your book, which is all about curiosity, you share a really lovely quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt said, I think at a child's birth, if a mother could ask a fairy godmother to endow it with the most useful gift, that gift should be curiosity. It's a lovely sentiment. Why do you think that curiosity is the most powerful of all traits we could have? Well, curiosity is what inspires us to learn new things, to discover things. It's the fuel for inquiry and discovery. And more recently, we know from neuroscience that when we're curious, it lights up the reward center of our brain. So it actually benefits us physiologically as well. And when we're curious and curiosity is the tool for us to find good problems to solve within organizations. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that later because you you do a really nice job in your book of defining the difference between a, a problem finder and a problem solver. But before we get there, I, I want to cover one more thing on the same concept, that introducing of the introduction of curiosity. What is the opposite of curiosity, Yvette. If I'm not a curious person, and you you lay out a, a bit of a spectrum in your book, if I'm not curious, but I'm at the complete other end of the spectrum, what indeed am I? So when I talk about the value of problem finding, and I guess the value of curiosity, we talk about going from being closed right through, and I guess the spectrum to being curious. And for people that are not curious at all, and they're completely closed... I talk about them as being ignorant. So 
they're not even. I bet that goes down well, hey, when you talk, when you use that word in a workshop. Well, exactly. They don't see, they either tell me they've got no time for curiosity or it's something mm. that that's not relevant to their business. And so they're not even looking for problems to solve. For some organizations, they're, they're kind of looking for problems. They're what we call sort of lost, but they're potentially looking in the wrong place for them. So that's the next step along this spectrum from, yes. from the extreme other end, which is lost and ignorant when you, we have a closed mindset. A next step, a tiny step towards curious is, is being lost. Correct. Yes. So often they're looking in the wrong places for problems. So, you know, and assumptions can get in our way. They can lead us astray. They can put boundaries around our thinking. And so, and particularly people think they know a lot more about their, their business, their customers, their competitors than they actually do. And the implication from a business perspective is they're kind of going around in circles trying to solve the same problems over and over again. So that's, that's the, from ignorant, which is at the end, to lost. And what's the next step? If I'm, if I'm moving in, along this model towards being curious, I'm not lost. I'm something a bit better than that. Where, where am I at Chaotic. There? And in fact, I, ha- okay. <laughs> I had a meeting today with a client and they put themselves right in this spot. They said, that is exactly what we are. We are chaotic and we're responding to everything. And so people will say problems. I've got plenty of problems. I don't need more problems to solve. But what's often happening is they might be looking at a competitor that's in the marketplace, let's say a retailer, but suddenly they've got the likes of Amazon who are about to enter the market and they're not, you know, they're just reacting to what's already out in the marketplace. All right. Ignorant, lost, chaotic, it's starting to get better now. I'm just two steps away from being truly curious. Where do I go after chaotic? It's We become careful. We're searching, but we're searching very safely. So here we're, we are proactively looking for problems, but often it's only within the context of what we currently do today or what we offer or our existing customer set. So we're not necessarily looking outside of that. And so that's we're we're moving nicely towards curious. What's next? And then finally describe that end state for us. So the next one is we're focused. So this is where we're trying, we're looking to try and uncover stronger opportunities and problem finding becomes embedded in the culture of the business. So this is where individuals and organizations have a deep understanding of their current and potential customer problems. And often they're looking outside of the current industry, so for broader problems to solve. So they're looking at it in the context of potential offerings and markets, not just where they are right now. And then we get to the, the end of your, your model here, the end of the spectrum where we're accomplished, where we're curious, and as an organization, we're disrupting the market. Does that mean then that that second last stage, the focus stage, there's still a pretty good spot to be. You know, we're gaining market share. We're looking pretty good. We're quite mature in the way that we look at problems and, and look for ways and, and clever solutions to them. Is it almost as though this end state, the accomplished, the disrupting state at the very end of Curious, is that that's pretty high level and, and you would do very well to get there? Absolutely. Yeah. That accomplished state is the holy grail. So, you know, with this state and it's it is the holy grail. It's not an easy state to achieve, but 
to do so, you're looking for problems with lead users, you're looking for problems with customers of tomorrow. People talk about the saying, the future is here, it's not just everywhere. Uh, Sorry, the future is everywhere, it's just not here. And part of that is to say, well, who's leading? What's going on around the world? And how do we learn from those customers, those lead users? And how do we seek out those problems that we can solve knowing that they'll be the needs of the future? So if curiosity is the key to innovation and growth, and you're working with your clients to increase their levels of curiosity at an individual, at a team, an organization level, do you work them through this hierarchy of curiosity? Do you work to identify where they currently are, the kind of place on this curve they currently sit, and do you simply try and move them to the next bit along? And then the next bit along to you describe the behaviors that exist at that next step and just get them to get there? Or do you try and take them from ignorant all the way to accomplished in one go? It probably depends on the client and the organization and their ability to shift. So I definitely start with what's the current state? Where are you at today? And for some organizations, they acknowledge that they think jumping, say, from chaotic to accomplished is too big a leap for them. And in some instances, it's like we've got, we need to understand the problem to solve, but we've only got six months to do it. And so time pressure impacts on how quickly and your ability to shift. So for some organizations, the ability just to move up, up, up the scale is a good outcome. But with others, and again, a client today who said they were chaotic, they want to move to accomplish. They realize that that's a stretch goal for them. But it's like, let's think about this with the intention of moving. We need to, as an organization, for us to be successful in the future, we've got to make a big leap from where we are right now. What about people at an individual level? I'm guessing, I mean, you're talking there about a leader saying, our organization needs to be more curious. We need to apply the the trait of curiosity to the way we grow and innovate and find our problems and solve those problems and all those wonderful things. So therefore, that person is with through their wisdom, they obviously have some insight there. They are going to put together some type of change management approach in their organization to to educate people, to encourage them and motivate them and set them goals. That's great. But at an individual level, If I don't have that, if I don't have a CEO driving me individually, how am I ever going to identify that I am not a curious person or that I might not be, but I don't even understand what the benefits of being curious would be? How can that change ever happen to an individual if they don't even know about it? So the first step of that is to really look at or have an awareness of what your, I guess, curiosity mindset is. So I often talk about curiosity as a mindset. You just need to activate it. And so there's sort of two dimensions to cultivating an individual's curiosity. The first one is for, is being open. So you've got to be willing to step outside your comfort zone, to step into the unknown, to learn something new. So, you know, we are all born with a degree of curiosity, but we're not going to learn something unless we're open to seeking out that new knowledge. That's kind of one aspect to that. And the other part I talk about is discipline. And, you know, 
you can be open, but you're not curious to kind of take that one step further. And so, therefore, you know, discipline's kind of like exercise and a bit of a fitness program. It's dedicating practice and making time in your diary and day and your schedule to have more curious moments. And so, at an individual level, you've got to both have that openness and that discipline at the outset to cultivate your curiosity. And then, I guess, around that is what I've developed six curiosity mindsets, which are ways, again, once you're open and you're ready to schedule that, to think about how to cultivate that curiosity through those six mindsets. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. So we're going to talk about those mindsets soon. So that's great. You know, we'll talk through those and I'll get you to describe them. But you're saying by understanding them and being able to recognize them in yourself or not, that's a really great step to start understanding your level of curiosity and how you might go about developing it. That's great. And that's where we're going. And the next question I'm going to ask is about this problem finder, not problem solver. Tell me about that. That's a really interesting distinction that you draw in your book. Because for a lot of us, we might say, oh, we want to employ problem solvers. I want people in my organization who are problem solvers because that's better than passive cynics. But of course, it's not as good as being a problem finder. Tell me about that. Yeah. So in a lot of organizations, we're very quick to go, hey, here's the problem. Let's jump to solutions. And organizations are in under incredible time pressure to deliver results. And, and what that does is it creates a culture of doing. And But what often happens is organizations haven't spent the time up front working out if they're actually solving the right problem. And in a Harvard Business Review article back in 2017 titled, Are You Solving the Right Problem? There was a survey done with 106 C-suite executives across 17 countries and 85% of them strongly agreed or agreed that their organizations were bad at problem diagnosis. And the same amount agreed that that flaw carried significant costs because managers and leaders are switching so quickly into solution mode without checking whether they really understand the problem. And curiosity, what curiosity does before problem finding comes curiosity because curiosity is what helps us to make sure and understand and explore whether we are solving the right problem. You used the word discipline a little bit earlier. It takes a lot of discipline to not jump into solution mode, doesn't it, and try and start solving a problem. Because as you say, it's worth taking the time to diagnose the problem properly. Another quote from your book that I really enjoyed was from Einstein And it's something along the lines of, if I was told that I had one hour to save the world, I would spend the first 55 minutes properly diagnosing the problem and then the last five minutes solving the problem. That's a really nicely put sentiment that suggests just how important it is to invest that thinking time in properly diagnosing the problem. But we don't do that, do we? We don't. We jump so quickly into solutions. And I love a, a story that from the book, a Procter & Gamble story, which sort of talks to that. The product 
development team had spent six months, this is back in the 70s, trying to come up with a product to beat Irish Spring, which was a, a green and white striped soap bar. Refreshing. It's very refreshing. And there was um, the TV ad's hilarious. It's very 70s. A man in the meadow showering and the team had come up as with- As you do. As you do. The team had, had come up with six versions of that green bar and Procter & Gamble had sort of a policy. They wouldn't launch a new product unless it beat a competitor in a blind test. And none of those bars that they had- created had beaten the Colgate's Irish Spring. And Min Bassiter back in the 70s said, well, let's take a look at this. And I mean, they'd wasted six months. And in a single day, he sat down with them and he said, well, why why do we want to make a better green striped bar? And they said, well, we're losing market share. And he said, yeah, yeah, but why else do we want to make a better green striped bar? And they said, to help people feel more refreshed. And he said, boom, there's the challenge, there's the problem we need to be solving. And it wasn't a business problem, it was a customer problem. And out of that session and out of that single day, they came up with a solution. That refreshment turned into Coast, which was a swirly blue stripe bar, which beat Irish Spring in a blind test. And so that's a great example of that hour, 55 minutes defining the problem and solving it, They've he's flipped that. But they had wasted six months of their time when they could have solved it so much quicker had they just spent that time on problem definition. So they were solving the wrong problem. They thought their problem was they needed a green bar to compete with the other company's green bar when really what they needed was a lovely refreshing soap to compete with the other company's refreshing soap. So they just redefine the problem. You give some really nice advice in your book that you can use three words to define a problem so that you can influence your ability to solve it. How might we? That's a really important way to phrase it. But I guess you've got to be able to ask yourself the right question because those guys might have just asked themselves, how might we make an awesome green bar? Exactly. And that's where they started. How might we how might we make a better green stripe bar was exactly where they started, whereas in fact they needed to have reframed that challenge into how might we make people feel more refreshed. All right. Now, Yvette, we're going to finish off by getting you to describe those six types of curiosity and our listeners will be able to identify in themselves where they sit. What type of curious mindset do they have? Maybe they have a mixture of more than one. Maybe they have a few strengths. But before you launch into that, I'd love to hear how you landed on this concept of curiosity. You know, the world of leadership, management consulting, business development, personal development, there are so many concepts that have appeal. Why for you did you land on curiosity as the number one? For me, I've really spent the last couple of decades in my career doing what I call deep curiosity work. So I've traveled the world. I've been to trailer parks in Florida. I've been to villages in India. I've been to tier four cities in China, apartments in Madrid, elderly homes in Birmingham, England, and working with clients to understand their customers' needs and what matters to them and their problems to solve. So for me, I've been doing curiosity work for a long time. 
it's been incredibly rewarding and enjoyable because I'm helping solve problems for my clients, but I'm being curious and learning things along the way for myself. So I guess the culmination and the the book, the idea for writing a book about curiosity for me came from I was at the uh, innovation, the Fast Company Innovation Conference in New York at the end of 2016 and was listening to, you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs from very successful companies. And the word that kept popping up for me and I kept writing it down in my notebook was the word curious or curiosity and that that was a secret ingredient for them in terms of their success. And so, it was really a natural evolution in terms of the work I'd been doing as well as it was a bit of an aha moment, of course, <laughs> incredible sort of outcomes and results, but in, you know, personally, intrinsically for you as an individual and for organizations in cultivating curiosity. Ah, that's a great story. All right. Well, let's get to the crux of this. I guess we could call it the, the six curiosity mindsets that uh, you might identify in yourself or you might even strive to introduce into your way of thinking. Run us through them. Okay, great. So the first one is the rebel. And I sort of pose the question about how prepared are you to go out on a limb to seek a better way of doing things? And so the rebel is someone who is willing to challenge the rules and the norms or, or authority in order to get a better outcome within an organization. All right. Now, some people will be fully identifying with that one. Some people will be listening to this go, oh, no, that is not me. And that is certainly not my organization because some organizations might just not wear that. But then again, some organizations might absolutely need that, even though it seems like they wouldn't wear the rebel mindset. That's a good one. What's next, Yvette? So the next one is the Zen master. So the Zen master and the the question I ask here is how often are you fully present? And the Zen master is somebody who allows for stillness and to be in that the very present moment. Ah, uh, that's that's nice. That's all about that empathic listening, someone who actually listens when you're talking so that they feel you, they hear you, they understand exactly where that you're coming from rather than someone who's just sitting, watching your, you talk and waiting for the next opportunity for them to speak. Absolutely. And I think, you know, some of the sort of stats I talk about in the book is that with the Zen Master, our brains aren't designed for multitasking. And in fact, we kind of, we refer to this actually as task switching. Yep. There's a cost. Multitasking. There's a cost to task switching. Yes. So, it can actually reduce our productivity by 40%. And when we're interrupted, and so it can take up upwards of 23 minutes for us to resume that task. So, and in some cases, we don't even resume it to the next day. So, there's a lot of, we can't possibly be curious if we're not in the present moment. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. We've had Rebel. We've had Zen Master. Who's next? The next one's the novice. So, again, the question I pose here is how comfortable are you when you don't have all the answers? And how comfortable are you asking, you know, what I talk about as seemingly silly questions? Because, and again, there's research that talks about we actually think we know more about 
everyday objects, whether it's our customers, our competitors, or, you know, in the case of an experiment, a psychologist did bicycles, we actually know less about everyday objects than we think we do. So, Mm, I bet. Within organisations, we're expected to be the expert, we're expected to have all the answers, but we will never learn anything when we walk into the room with that kind of mindset. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Fantastic, that willingness to be a beginner. And we've all been in that situation in a meeting where we're sitting there thinking, oh God, I've got the most basic question, but everyone else seems to to know. So I'm just going to shut up. And it turns out no one else in the room knows either. And when you finally do have the courage to ask that question, a whole bunch of people nod. And yes, I was wondering the same thing. You've got a great quote in your book. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. So that humility to put yourself in the shoes of a novice, that's great, Yvette. Rebel, Zen master, novice, what's next? The next one's the sleuth. How likely are you to notice things beyond the obvious? And the sleuth is all about looking for observing what people do and listening to what they say and looking for the the disconnects between those two to seek, you know, sort of deeper understanding and knowledge. Ah, nice. All right, great. What's next? The interrogator. So the how likely are you to ask questions that have never been asked before? And the interrogator is somebody who is all about, well, A, you need to build rapport. It's all about the questions you ask and genuinely listening and waiting for people to finish speaking before you move on and provoking. Provocation is is a key part of being an interrogator. Mm, That's a good one. And that quote from Voltaire is a lovely one. Judge a man by his questions rather than by his answers. You know, of the five that you've listed so far, that's the one that to me, I I think a a lot of people fancy themselves at. Am I right there? A lot of people do like to think about asking the right question. That's even part of our lexicon, our business lexicon. You know, is that the right question or that's not the right question? People do fancy that they have an understanding of the importance of asking the right question. Is is that true, do you think? I think that people, I think some people in the room like to ask the right question. I think the nature of the interrogator, it is about asking the right question and, and carefully considering the questions to be asked, but it's not, you know, if we come back to the novice, it's about interrogating to learn and, and inquire and discover. So, asking questions rather than providing answers is important, but it's not about being the the smartest person in the room by asking the best question. All right. We've got one to go. We've had rebel, Zen master, novice, sleuth, interrogator. What's the lucky last of it? And the final one's the playmaker. So for me, the playmaker is a bit of the, the cream on the top. So how open are you to experiencing new things and learning through play? Mm. Is that the the person that makes the, the workplace fun and they get something out of the fun? No, not entirely. So it's using play with purpose, so not in a frivolous way. So play, it's using play in a way that to seek out learning and experiences and to sense make and to understand things. So it's not just frivolous play with fuzzballs and in the office, it's using play in a purposeful way to understand. And 
there's lots of different ways that you can do that. And one of the things that I've used very successfully is a tool called Bodystorming where we it's like a role-playing activity where we put scenes together and we get people to work through scenarios. And in doing so, it's a bit more of a playful approach, but we get to sort of unpack and understand what's going on for people through those experiences. A really important part of using play is making sure that it's built on trust and almost that psychological safety that people are willing participants, that it's not being forced upon them. So, Yvette, when you think about those six curiosity mindsets, which of them do you really relate to? Personally, I, I've i got a relationship with them all in very different ways. So, I guess I see the benefits and the strengths of them all. I love the rebel because the rebel is, you know, provoking and Mm, provocative. Yeah, and it's challenging the status quo. And and sometimes that can be in big ways where you're you're standing up to the CEO, but it can be in little ways to say, hang on, let's look at this problem differently. Let's put on the hat. You know, if you think about De Bono's six hats, it's almost like, hey, let's put on the hat of the rebel and think about this problem differently. Let's challenge the assumptions we have around a particular challenge. So I love the rebel in that way. The Zen master for me is very important. I probably struggle with that one the most because I am super curious. Like I'm constantly taking in information, but I'm conscious of being a single tasker and tuning out all of the noise. And and so, but to be truly curious, we need to have the Zen master mindset. The novice, I love, like I, I catch myself, you know, these mindsets are, I'm not always an expert in them. I've caught myself in meetings or interviews switching into being the expert when I need to be the novice right now. I'm not going to learn anything the moment I think I have the answer or know the answer or even when people use language, there's so many buzzwords thrown around. You need to clarify because what that buzzword means in one team or one organization is potentially completely different somewhere else. So, the sleuth, I love going into people's homes. I love learning about people and their lives and what's important to them. But you can do that wherever you go. If you sit on a tram in the middle of Melbourne, you know, on the way to work and you put your phone down, you can observe so much what's going on. You know, you can see what's going on because people have got their smartphones in front of you and you can see what content they're looking at or what apps they're using. (laughs) You really are a sleuth. I am. And the interrogate, I mean, I think, you know, provocation is a really important tool for the interrogator, but so is silence. And, you know, the word listen and silence are the anagram, like they've got the same combination of letters and part of being a good interrogator is that is using silence and you can learn so much with how silence, the use of silence can be incredibly powerful. And then finally, I love play. Play is not always appropriate, but you can uncover such profound, deep insights through play where you kind of go, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know, you know, that was a huge aha. Like we would never have uncovered that through the other mindsets. Play can bring some unexpected insight to a challenge. That's fantastic insight you've given us tonight, Yvette Cordy. I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling us all about curiosity. Thank you for having me. 
And that was Yvette Cordy sharing her passion for curiosity. What I'll remember from our conversation is that the power of curiosity leads to the insights that unlock the mysteries of life. And how about those six different mindsets of curiosity? The rebel, the Zen master, novice, sleuth, interrogator, and the playmaker. Which ones did you relate to? And where will you spend your time and energy developing? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with a vet on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. 